1: A strange spiralling white light was spotted in the early morning sky over Sydney with even sceptical witnesses wondering if it was a UFO. They were last seen on the beach with a tall man and that's the best description police have ever had of him. More than
2: 17 years after Harold Holt disappeared into raging surf at Cheviot Beach, his widow has finally revealed his last romantic words.
3: "Docking, terrifying, mesmerising. That's the way a number of Australians have described their alleged encounter with the Yowie.
4: It's time for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. Welcome to the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Soule. Joining me, of course, is the researcher extraordinaire and co-host herself, Holly Soule.
2: I think I'm a research extraordinaire because I actually managed to make an entire episode out of a single bunyip.
4: That's actually pretty impressive considering because we, and we did, just give the whole episode away. That is actually pretty impressive because generally when we do these monster episodes, we actually have to do uh, a couple of them. Like we have to do a couple of the encounters because, you know, they just don't sort of have legs just by themselves.
2: Or we have to spend 20 minutes uh, laughing at Chalker or... Whatever the other guy's name
4: is, the monster guy. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, the hacky, hack, hack, hack. The fraud. Oh, it
2: was only three weeks ago. I can't remember what his name is now.
4: Also, quick shout out as well. If you have a look on Instagram, Holly, one of our fans actually went up and took some photos of the Gosford glyphs.
2: Yeah, I have watched it. He did a mini
4: video. Well, this is the end of Spooktober, sadly.
2: Yes. The last Spooktober episode. Which means we go back to normal programming.
4: (laughs) Which in the case of this podcast is just pretty much the same thing.
2: Yeah, it's just slightly different order.
4: That being said, next week is going to be the start of Patreon Selects series, possibly series. You guys have wanted it for a long time and that's going to be Midnight Oil. So we're going to start talking about the rise and retirement. Of Midnight Oil next week. but and then, the, and then their return, and then their extra
2: retirement, and then...
4: <laughs> and now their, like, farewell tour, which they're doing right now. We might actually... I think they're coming to Canberra. We might actually see if we can...
2: They're finalising it. <laughs> see,
4: I, I really... See, it's like, I should go to their last tour, but I, I really don't like Midnight Oil that much.
2: There's reasons for that, but we'll talk about that next week.
4: However, it is the last uh, episode of Spooktober for us. Uh, today is... Monday the 31st of October, uh, which is Halloween proper, so happy Halloween to Um, you all.
2: Unless you're listening to this on Patreon, at which point it's Sunday the 30th and you've still got a day worth of candy, like stuffing candy in your mouth, which is great.
4: And I'm still nursing a hangover from the previous day.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Um, but we've enjoyed some uh, some horror films so far. Uh, I think uh, the highlight for me so far has been the new Hellraiser film, which you can watch here in Australia. Not a sponsor, because I really don't like them. Uh, you can watch that on the Paramount Plus, or you can do a, a sneaky. Uh, but I would recommend the new Hellraiser film if you are a fan of the Pinhead franchise. Um, it is horribly grotesque, so make sure... You have a strong stomach and no children about. Definitely not one for them. Uh, We also watch Werewolf by Night uh, from Marvel. It's nice to see
2: a non-superhero Marvel film.
4: Yes, as they start to expand into that sort of world. I think there's a Blade film on its way as well. Uh, So I've enjoyed that. I finally got you to watch all of Scream. Yeah. You know, because you appreciated it as a satire now.
2: Yeah, especially when you turned around and went, oh yeah, no, it's just homicidal shaggy.
4: Yeah, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard also went on to play Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, but every, every role Matthew Lillard plays is basically a variation on Shaggy. Uh, ultimate <laughs> universe Shaggy. It is, it is. Uh, so please let us know, what, what horror films have you consumed over the spooky season? We'd love to know. Find us on Facebook, We Crap in Australia. Well, without further ado, it's time to take a look at our own monster hiding in the swamp. Watching
2: waiting. I'm gonna get everybody in the in the right feels for this with, with a little bit of it. So
4: you better come home.
2: Now, I know a, quite a few listeners have sent us messages saying, hey, do you know about the Bunyip song? And I go, yes. And they go, it is absolutely terrifying. So now- Is it? There you go. That's just the chorus. The, the actual verses themselves are really haunting and weird and freaky. So YouTube it. But that's just the chorus just to get us into the
4: feels. Because I poked around uh, around our sound shield there and just gave you the raised eyebrow.
2: Yeah, but anyone who knows the song has now got it in their head and they're freaking out a little bit.
4: Okay. That's what we need. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished.
2: In the depths of February 1893, the banks of the Brisbane River, as it is wont to do, broke and flooded the town three times within two weeks.
4: <laughs> just like what we're all going through at the moment again. Mm-hmm.
2: These three major floods in one month led to February 1893 being labelled as Black February. Another flood also broke banks in June, but by then the city was recovered from the initial floods, making it a little bit easier to bear. The first flood occurred on February 6 because of tropical cyclone Buninyong crashing on the shores of Brisbane and driving sea and fresh water into the heart of the Brisbane swamplands. The second cyclone struck on February 11, which caused relatively minor flooding compared to the initial flood. A third cyclone flooded the city on February 19, leaving almost a third of Brisbane's population homeless. At the time, it was 88,000 people, so roughly 30,000 people were now
4: homeless. Wow. That is a substantial amount of people who are not uh, in a home anymore. Uh, Brisbane, I like going to Brisbane. We go to Brisbane...
2: We go to the Gold
4: Coast, well, which we, is not Brisbane. We go to the Gold Coast, but we've also done little bits and we've done stints in Brisbane. Remember when we saw the Marvel exhibition yep. at the the Modern Art Gallery, and we've even we've gone through Brisbane on our way to Australia Zoo. So, you know, it's like I don't know Brisbane well, well, but we've spent a few days there, and and I quite like it. I wonder if all of that flooding is why it has such a raised infrastructure. You know, like, remember how you do have those sort of, like, really raised highways, which are quite well off the ground? And I wonder if that has something to do with it.
2: Well, it's, again, it's built on swampland because Australia likes to, for some reason, build on land that hates us, just like the animals (laughs) hate us. And, yeah, it it floods quite a lot because it's in a cyclone zone.
4: Yeah, well, it reminds me of uh, Washington in America. That's all um, Swampland on swampland as well.
2: 35 people died over the course of these three floods, and 190 people were hospitalised. The Brisbane River is one of the bigger waterways running through Brisbane, which was built on what is essentially swamp and tributary lands, flowing east through the relatively flatter parts of the northern Great Dividing Range Territory. The area was once part of the Euromanga Sea, but since the waters receded, it's been the subject of continual and repeated floods. 1841, 1890, 1893... 1931, 1974, and 2011 being the most catastrophic occurrences. Do you remember the 2011 floods?
4: Uh, yes, I do, actually. And the reason I remember them so vividly is because I was working at Retrovision and Schumann at the time. So every time I came back from a job, it was on our giant flat screen TVs. It was pretty horrific. I remember watching like the Brisbane CBD just get inundated with water And, you know, the river, like, tripled in size. It was just raging. Uh, I remember seeing uh, some houses being washed away. I remember seeing cars getting washed away. It was pretty bad.
2: The town of Lowood sits about 50 kilometres inland from Brisbane to the west, amongst large numbers of creeks, lakes, and rivers. The Brisbane River itself runs along the eastern edge of the town, the town's topography being relatively flat. The floods of 1893 flooded through Lowood, with the waters on February 6 and 19 washing through the town, though more gently than that which swept through Brisbane proper. When the floodwaters receded, the town was forced to clean up and rebuild from the devastation left behind. The town itself wasn't severely damaged, the pub survived at least, and the townspeople set to work relaying fences, drying carpets, and finding pastures for their cattle, sheep and other livestock that wouldn't result in trench-hoof.
4: Yeah, trench hoof is not particularly nice. It's exactly the same as trench foot. It's not what it's actually called. It's just what I called it. <laughs> yeah, when you end up with a buildup of moisture and you can't get dry, you end up getting bacterial infections and things like that. It's not, not nice. Mould as well, mould gets in there.
2: Yeah, it's very, very painful. All manner of debris was left around town, including such strange sights as baby sharks, crocodiles, and bloated livestock corpses. These weren't so dangerous when they were on dry land, as the crocodiles were relocated. The corpse was removed, and the baby sharks returned to the waterways.
4: Baby shark, 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 shark baby shark, 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 Should shark. Should have shark. had that clip. <laughs>
2: uh,
4: I can I can always chuck it in, in post.
2: <laughs> in the floodwaters, which have been known to host such creatures as bull sharks, crocodiles, and other dangerous beasts in Australia, something began preying on the animals that remained in the fields and paddocks around the riverbanks of Lowood. At first, it was supposed that some of the released crocodiles or sharks could be responsible, but the creatures seemed to only vanish at night and were taken from the riverbank, not while swimming.
4: We have a quote here. News had been circulated that some strange creature in the Brisbane River was taking Mr John Rolston's calves, and no one could account for their disappearance. A watch was kept, and nothing definite could be established. Nothing. Definite could be established someone started a story that a creature known as a bunyip was pulling animals into the river when they went to drink but no one knew what a bunyip was like well we know what a bunyip is like do you want to talk about the history of the bunyip just a little bit holly let's let's talk about the descriptions just before we go too far The bunyip is one of the most cultural terms in Australian First Nations people mythology. Basically, the origins are Europeans get sent from Britain, most of them forced from Britain, and they start doing what... You know, most people do. They start checking out the land, start exploring, you know, scientific endeavours, all that sort of fun stuff. And as they're going through this great land of ours, they start finding fossils. They start finding megafauna fossils. They start finding dinosaur fossils. And so, they start asking the First Nations trackers who are with them, what is this? And the catch-all term for any strange fossil, any strange monster that is found, for lack of a better term, is referred to as this catch-all term of bunyip, meaning that if you type in bunyip into Google Drive, you're going to see things that look like yaoi's. You're going to see things that look like- Giant the-
2: starfish with a weird-ass face.
4: Yes, like the 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 giant starfish, the the lapry, the leech-like bunyip is, in my opinion, one of the more fun ones, uh, if you've watched something like you know, Stranger Things, where you've got the Demogorgon, you know, that's sort of what they're hinting at here. So, I kind of like the idea of cattle going too close to these flooded waters. The waters have been disturbed by the bunyip and they're getting closer and closer and closer. And then all of these tentacles shoot up out of the flooded river and attach themselves to the cow. And the cow pulls against it and just pulls the bunyip a little bit out of the water. And you can just see... It's horrible visage and then <laughs> more tentacles hit it and then slowly drag it into the water, never to be seen again. So I like that image personally. And the other one that looks very similar to a marsupial wombat, most likely because that was the megafauna fossil that they were looking at. Yeah, it's iPododon.
2: The loss of calves and adult sheep were put down as works of native predators which have been known to happen in the Brisbane River for decades as well as through most of the northern river systems. Three calves went missing in one night with slide marks and strange footprints, not identifiably a crocodile's footprints and too large to be a feral dog, found along the banks of the river. The farmer who found the tracks and realised that some of his charges were missing was sure he knew what native species it was and he thought it was a mammal. A sting was set up to see if the culprit could be caught. It crossed the minds of the local townspeople that there might be a cattle rustler operating at night, leaving the marks in the riverbank to put the investigators off the trail. The farmer and a couple of his friends remained out in the nightlight, remained out the next night, camped along the river, hoping to spot the cattle rustlers while they were at work and prevent any further thefts. They remained in their camp until it was almost midnight, hearing, seeing, and catching nothing. Slowly, the men started turning in, taking turns at watch. A hissing suddenly came up from the river, waking the watchman who was snoozing lightly against a tree. The man who was holding onto his gun, as was the way of someone hoping to shoot a bushranger or other criminal, this being only 13 years after Ned Kelly hung, the last bushranger wouldn't actually be retired in Queensland until 1903.
4: That's crazy. How far away is that from World War One?
2: Uh, this is eighteen ninety three, so this is
4: No, I mean years? The, the retirement of the last Bush Ranger. So nineteen oh three. So how close nine was that years. to World War One? Nine years. Nine
2: years. World War One started nineteen fourteen.
4: Yeah, I know it's always crazy to think about this, but to contextualise the era of the Bush Ranger, if Ned Kelly and his gang had not been wiped out at Glen Rowan and Ned himself subsequently being hung.
2: He could have seen the Vietnam War.
4: He, I guess he, he could have also fought in World War One and World War II, and that's pretty crazy to think. Although, as a listener pointed out to me last week when I was like, you know, it was the 1920s. It, it, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't 100, 100 years, years ago, ago. It was absolutely 100 years ago because uh, time keeps slipping into the future, Holly.
2: Something splashed in the river, gaining the watchman's attention. While he initially thought the splash the result of a fish, he realised pretty quickly that there was something in the water watching him.
4: The creature was described as being something like a huge Newfoundland dog with a ferocious head and giant tusks. Others said it had wings or large fins and moved like an alligator when on dry land. It was seen at Wivenhoe, Lowood and Fernvale. Because of the Aboriginal stories, it was decided that the creature was a bunyip. The
2: watchman woke his friends, who managed to see only the ripples the creature left behind. The hunters packed up quickly and fled back to the homestead, satisfied that it wasn't a cattle rustler out there stealing calves. There was something in the water, and it was big. The townspeople became a little nervous, unaware of what it was they were looking at. Could it be a crocodile, or could it be something more dangerous, or more supernatural? The story of the creature's encounter made it around town, where the people began to embellish the story and make the creature seem even more dangerous. There was little discussion as to what the creature could really be. In the end, it was 100% a bunyip, and that's what mattered. While normally such an outlandish claim as, there's a bunyip in the river, would be met with derision, the hunters had other things on their side. More than one group of people, from possum hunters to lovers taking a casual stroll, had seen the creature in the river and believed they saw the same being that crept up on the sleeping hunters.
4: Several fishing parties reported being disturbed by a monster, a demon, or whatever it was, which scared them so much that they quickly packed up and went home. Others saw the animal come out of the river at night, Attacked cattle grazing on the bank. A calf had been even dragged into the water and devoured.
2: Stories started to circulate in town over what was going on. More cattle and sheep disappeared in the night, more marks were found on the banks. Three floods occurring within two weeks was rumoured to have washed something far more dangerous into the river supplying the town. The townspeople were disturbed, on edge. Was the bunyip a natural creature? Or was it the final part of a curse that the three floods had enacted on the town? Stories of things moving around in the river, against the natural flow of the water, circulated through the citizens, making people paranoid. The fishermen who usually worked on the river became reluctant to do so, but had to gain their income. They were cautious, carrying a gun at all times, watching for signs of the bunyip as they dragged up their nets. No one would enter the waterways at night, and was sure to be back out of it by the time the sun set.
4: One night, some opossum shooters, accompanied by Mr. C. H. D. Leidman, were walking along the river near Lowood when they sighted what appeared to be the bunyip crossing the river. It certainly splashed into the river and it could be seen crossing.
2: The hunters fired a dozen shots at the creature and it turned tail and fled, racing away upriver alongside a paddock owned by Mr. Carl Lindemann. The hunters thought to chase it but decided against it instead of returning to town to tell the story. More sightings circulated around town. Someone saw the bunyip down near the big sweeping curve of the river, where it was stalking a sheep. The creature was seen lying on a bank in the moonlight, as though sunning itself. Like most stories of cryptids, the mantle of darkness made a difference to the story. The creature was only seen at night, usually in low-light conditions, swimming in and crossing the same area of the river.
4: However, it wasn't only seen at Lowood. The queer animal was seen at Wivenhoe, Lowood and Fernvale, and no one could really explain what it was like. Australians
2: being Australians, or at this point in time, Queenslanders Ah, being Queenslanders. The locals took to the river with firearms in the hope of bringing the beast to town justice. Because there's nothing like an Australian who thinks that the world is out to get him, having We're to get there. We found it a
4: mysterious creature in the water. No one has ever seen it before. What do we do? Oh, go go, go shoot it. Go shoot it. They went to the bottom of Lindemann's panic on the riverbank, and after they walked for about half an hour, one of the scouts reported seeing a dark moving object on the other side of the river, sitting on a large log. The thing had scarcely been seen when it jumped off the log with considerable noise and splashing and rushed towards the party. Some of the onlookers fainted. Others fled in terror. Many wanted to start shooting straight away to scare the monster off, but Lindemann advised them to hold fire until it got closer.
2: Many shots were fired into the water and at animals who approached the river's edge, with a few innocent native animals slaughtered on the road to the bunyip. The shooting took place only at Lowood, however, where the majority of sightings occurred. Townspeople were still jumpy, though the rifts seemed to be more to livestock than humans. No human victims could be named.
4: Some said that John Ralston, who was the biggest landowner in the district, and whose calves had been taken by the bunyip, had offered £40 for its capture. It was also believed that the government was willing to pay £200 for the monster to go to the museum. There were several disputes as to how these rewards were to be shared between the armed and unarmed hunters from that night. So, let's, let's pull it up for a minute here. Let's talk about what we're probably seeing.
2: Drunken people?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, generally, yes. When a posse gets together, they all have a bit of a drink while they go out hunting. My best guess is what they're actually seeing here is a rather large crocodile. Um, A crocodile that has been disturbed by the floodwaters, who's now expanded its territory, uh, and it's been able to expand its territory because suddenly it's got a whole lot more water to swim in. Now, of course, all of this cattle that's been naturally displaced from their normal habitat uh, are probably a lot closer to the water than they normally would be, and they wouldn't be fearful of that area because generally it's an area that they would know so they're most likely being pulled in by one crocodile or a group of crocodiles. Now, the other thing is, of course, because of these floods, there's debris everywhere. So imagine if you would, it's nighttime, it's a rather large crocodile, and the crocodile is covered in debris and seaweed. So what and, and a crocodile is not going to give an a two shits about being covered in a little bit of brick and brack and a little bit of seaweed. Um, what even if a, a piece of fence had, um, had gotten caught on its scales? You know, there's a million different ways that a crocodile at night covered in seaweed and crap could absolutely look like some sort of sea monster. And you've also got to remember at this time Australians are not quite as familiar with the land as we are now and they're not quite familiar with the native fauna. You know, things can be misidentified. Bull sharks are also rather ferocious. They have been known to pull people into the water. Again, in low light vision, covered in debris, that sort of creature could look rather bizarre. There doesn't seem to be the description of the traditional tentacle bunyip here, so we're probably dealing with what people are describing as the you know, the ancient wombat sort of looking bunyip. So what you're probably seeing here is just a crocodile covered in debris. What do you think, Holly? What, what's your explanation?
2: I know the end of this story, so I'm not going to give my explanation, but I like the idea of a crocodile having a bit of fencing wire caught on one of its back ridges and dragging yep. a bit of fence behind it, making it look like it's 80 or 90 feet long. Yep. Wearing, <laughs> that would scare the shit out of you.
4: Wearing a stylish wig of uh, seaweed on its head.
2: Yeah, just the idea of like a crocodile that seems like it's 80 feet long because the fence is moving behind it like in the same kind of rhythm as its tail. Mm. <laughs> I just like that idea.
4: If you're if you kind of digging on the idea of uh, scaring yourself with some big crocodile stories, there's a couple of movies that uh, there's Rogue, uh, which was made by the guys who produced Wolf Creek, and there's another film called Black Water, both Australian horror films. You could give those a burl if you're uh, keen to keep the horror film fest going.
2: People flooded into the town, hearing stories of bunyips and hunting parties, taking up rooms and places to let within the town and bringing economic relief to a town affected by the flooding Brisbane River. Hunters, trappers, and laypersons took up residence in the town, hoping to join the hunt or profit off it because they used to sell a lot
4: of shit. Or go on a date.
2: Yeah, or go on a date.
4: (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm just here to hunt. Oh, my shirt keeps opening up, revealing my manly chest and chest hair.
2: It's just like these women walking down the river and they just look to the left and there's like all these men just lined up next to trees, big beards, their shirts undone with their gunless like resting on their shoulder and they're just looking off into the middle distance in a dramatic
4: fashion. Yeah, just like <laughs> eight or nine Gastons, basically.
2: <laughs> with more people in town, it was only a matter of time before the animal was sighted
4: again. Christmas is coming and wouldn't it be nice to make that special someone happy? Our sponsor, Impact Comics, wants to help you make Christmas dreams come true this year with free shipping on your first order using promo code WCIA. Impact Comics delivers comics and graphic novels Australia-wide, and their standing order service means that you will never miss an issue. And I should know, I use their standing order service myself. Plus, they stock a huge range of pop culture merch from pop vinyls to clothing and beyond. They really are your one-stop shop for all things geeky. So whether your special someone is a Batman fanatic like myself, or surrounds themselves in piles of My Hero Academia manga, then Impact Comics has you covered. For more info, head to impactcomics.com.au or visit them at 16 Garima Place in Canberra. And don't forget to use promo code WCIA for free shipping on your first order. Now... Back to the show.
2: One evening, a man stumbled into town to say he'd been to the river and had seen the creature swimming around in the water and that the hunting party needed to be dispatched right away. People flooded into the street from houses, the barracks and the pubs, firearms in hand, and ran for the river. There were no torches or pitchforks, but one can be forgiven for imagining such in the mob.
4: The drill hall was raided for rifles and ammunition. Every gun available was soon in use. And a start was made for the river. The party being in charge was the officer of the K Company Morton Regiment. All the townspeople followed in the wake of the army to see the kill.
2: The summoner led the townspeople to the place in the river where he'd seen the bunyip. When they arrived, the humans milled around for a few minutes, trying to work out the best strategy they could use to capture, or
3: more likely kill the creature. A new year full of surprises.
2: A splash in the river caught everyone's attention. Riled up with mob mentality, the possibility of a carp or big fish causing the splash didn't cross anyone's mind. Carl Lindemann gave orders for a volley to be fired at the animal.
4: The affair caused a first-class sensation in the district and beyond, and people came from far and near for ocular demonstration of the fact that the Bunyip was a creature of reality and not only of legend. The excitement went on for quite a long time, and least it should do some harm.
2: The creature in the river took flight at the noise and ran from the gunshots, speeding across the current and scrambling up the far bank. It climbed out and kept running, heading into the tall grass near a clump of trees. The townspeople continued their volleys at the creature, independent of orders to hold fire. A bullet seemed to find home, and the creature stopped, noticeable when the crowd stopped firing. The crowd cried out in triumph, surging to cross the river and examine the creature where it lay in the grass near a tree. This creature was not what they imagined.
4: The bunyip was a box covered with a wallaby hide with sawn stone ears and sole leather sewn on for its nose. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what we refer to as the hoax.
2: The townspeople stopped, confused. What was this thing? Was there actually an animal out there? Or was it just a gigantic hoax?
4: The, <laughs> you know that there was one person who was like really, really riled up and he was sitting there going... Yet yeah, the boxes the boxes have grown a tail and a nose and they've come for revenge. We're being attacked by the boxes again. No he wasn't saying that he was like the money's created a decoy it's still out there we've got to go get it <laughs> That's probably even more plausible. It's smart it you don't understand It built a puppet It's away from its home. Just cue to a bunyip on the other side of the bank just with its strings like pulling this box back and forth.
2: It's got a hat on, just like fishing line.
4: Later, of course, the ans- the uh, the descendants of those people go on to create a gross cartoon connection. You know,
2: Using their grandfather as an inspiration. A few people remained behind to keep an eye out if there was another sighting of the animal. While the bunyip's body was taken to the local railway station where it was examined by most of the townsfolk in the light given off by the station's
4: lens. Using barrels, bullock's hides, tails and manes, some timber and sundry accessories, they created a dummy monster which they lowered into the river near the town, having attached it to wire ropes affixed to either bank and worked by pulleys. The pulling of the rope brought the bunyip to the surface or submerged it as was desired. The creature did not show itself in daylight, but only at nights, as bunyips were supposed to do. And it looked a fearsome thing in the dark waters, more fearsome when the pale moonlight shone on it. The wires, of course, were manipulated by the two conspirators.
2: Now, the townspeople should not have been really angry about this because they did bring a massive economic boom. But at the same time, it was like, I wanted to shoot something and now I can't shoot anything.
4: And people generally don't like to be deceived.
2: Yes, but mostly they just wanted to shoot something. An inquiry was launched as to what was going on and who was responsible for it. The creature's body was riddled with bullets, but the craftsmanship of the creature became apparent very quickly.
4: It was the idea of Carl Lindemann, the businessman. Lindemann clearly had a creative mind because he invented the first corn sheller and husker in the district. He also owned the first motor car and tractor engine. It was his sister-in-law who, a few years later, became the last woman sentenced to death in Queensland. What? Wait, why are we talking about that story? I found it. It's going on the list. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll be talking about that at some point. This is the John MacArthur of Queensland. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. The wires of the Bunyip were worked by Smythe and Lindemann's brother Jack. Constable Edward Fagg... two G's, yeah, two G's, was led in on the joke to prevent the special train leaving Ipswich. Oh, okay, so they called ahead to the policeman. Like, look, don't bother investigating this. We're just having a laugh with the town.
2: Yeah, otherwise they probably would have gotten into a massive shit for wasting police time. Yeah,
4: <laughs> back during the eighteen ninety three flood that gave rise to the Bunyip stories, it was thought for some time that Fag had drowned. Musketry Champion Lance Corporal Arthur Nunn of the Morton Regiment also knew about the hoax because it was his job to convince his commander, Captain Henry Lawson, to distribute the guns and ammunition. <laughs> Pranks can get out of hand when we're talking about live guns. Just the amount—actually, this is a crazy thing that happens in America all the time—is people who uh, get pranked. Sometimes those people get shot in the face.
2: The prankers. So, Yeah,
4: Yes, so I'm just saying, just just be careful. Captain Lawson was also the first head teacher at Lowood State School. To this very day, the school's mascot is, of course, a Bunyip.
2: His name is Horace. Horace the Bunyip. I looked it up. <laughs> Photographs of the Bunyip were taken on the railway station, and the Bunyip hit the papers as far south as Melbourne. In Lowood, the men in charge of the deception were offered little more than a lecture. And a lot of glares from the townspeople.
4: But they shouldn't have, because this was a town... Like, think about it from this perspective. This particular town had been hit with tremendous floods, a lot of damage done, and they were in an economic recession. So, yeah, that they were deceived a little bit, they were tricked a little bit, but there was no harm done, and on top of that... It, made money. <laughs> they made money. Like, it stimulated their economy. It helped with the recovery epo- efforts. It got people interested in their town. So, the, which is exactly why Lindemann did all this. So, at the end of the day, I, I'm kind of really... On their side, it it actually it reminds me, Holly, of that uh, the film we watched, uh, the one written and directed by John Stewart, starring Steve Carell, where the entire town basically tricks the Democrats and Republicans. Um, irresistible. It's yep. called. It's on Netflix. I've spoken about it before, but I encourage everyone to check it out. So this little small town that everyone assumes are like dumb hicks, they managed to get both the Democrats and Republicans to come down into their town, spend a shit ton of money, help them build a super secret super PAC. That's basically what they do. This whole town orchestrates a hoax. They they put up a fake political candidate and they get control of the super PAC and all that money is then used to rebuild the town. And that's exactly what's happened here. They've created a hoax. They've put up a false monster. They got a bunch of people to come to the town and spend money and spend time there. And no doubt some of them maybe even decided to settle down after all that. And it helped They've, their rec- economic recovery.
2: They found love walking along the river looking for a hairy. M- monster
4: <laughs> they found love in a monstrous place holly
2: Shit. yeah sure why not <laughs> i wouldn't say lowood is hopeless so i can't really extend that one people filtered back out of the town heading home with a story of what happened spreading with
4: mr linderman said that many cuttings from southern papers made interesting reading but they were all destroyed in a fire at Lowood some years ago. That's a shame, because that that's that would have been nice to see that's that. That's
2: his collection of cuttings.
4: Yeah, that's a shame.
2: Trove has a lot of them. That's where I've gotten most of this information. <laughs> well, that's good.
4: Lowood's bunyip was the most talked about thing for some time. If Lowood had not been on the map before, it certainly was then. Mr. C. H. D. Linderman still enjoys telling the story. He said that after he got the blame for everything, well... He- he did do it, (laughs) that happened whether he knew anything about it or not. I love how he got all sus after the fact.
2: (laughs) It wasn't me. Like, dude, we know it was you. You literally signed your name on the bunyip's foot.
4: But it wasn't me. (laughs) It wasn't me. He's got his top hat on and he's curling his moustache. It wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. Now I must be away. Ha-ha, away I go. Ha-ha. Does he have to be so uh, theatrical every time he slowly walks away somewhere?
2: Yes. Yes, he does.
4: I've come back with two capes now.
2: Ha-ha! Away I go again! (laughs) My hat has
4: a cape. (laughs) I love it.
2: (laughs) But this was not the end of the story. The Bunyip made an appearance a few more times over the years.
4: This is the problem when you start Legends, Holly. In September 1951, the local bunyip is thought to have made a reappearance in the Brisbane River near the town where it was caught by a local fisherman, running out 100 yards of fishing line before snapping it from the reel. Local veterans claimed that they had not heard previously of a freshwater fish doing anything like that so quickly. Really, I've seen some big carp do that. The next recorded appearance of the bunyip was in 1981 when it was photographed at dawn in the river adjacent to the town of Lowood. This sighting again generated widespread interest, with a picture gracing the front of the Queensland Times. Interestingly, this sighting occurred in the week of Lowood State School Centenary, and is believed to have been the excitement generated by the centenary celebrations that lured the bunya back to the area. Some intrepid and brave locals, including the police sergeant, trapped the elusive creature and it was a huge attraction during the parade through town to mark the school's 100 years. It is believed that the Bunyip was released back into the river following the parade and is still living there, awaiting the next school celebration.
2: Oh, Horace, you're so wholesome.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a lovely story. I like this story.
2: Sightings of the Bunyip continued on over the next century or so and continue to make its mark on the people of Lowood. Occasionally, as is the way of legends such as this, the Lowood Bunyip showed up when recounting other stories of creatures in the floodwaters, the most notable of which was the appearance of a bunyip in a local lagoon in 1947. I see why
4: you've snuck in this little story, Holly. Yeah. Claims from gundigai New South Wales, that the local lagoon boasts a bunyip. A revived in Lowood, a 50-year-old tale of a bunyip that scared the whole population and turned out a crack marksman for miles around.
2: We were all pissed. I doubt very much there was a cracked marksman in
4: that mob. I'll be honest. Hey, where's the... I'll I'll get the thing. I'll shoot the bunyip. I'll shoot the... Oh, my shoes are untied. Hold on, I got to fix... I got to f- I'm going to sit down and I'm going to fix my shoes. Then-
2: the description of these people as a crack, mar- crack marksman it gives me one of two vibes. It's either the drunk that's over there sleeping, as Matthew is demonstrating, or it's Sean Connery from uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen who has to pull out his glasses and take another oh, look down the thing. Oh, you
4: brought up that movie.
2: I know, but it's the only thing I can think of where I can actually think of a crack marksman that would fit the tone of this <laughs> Alas, Gundagai's bunyip was as mythological as Lowood's, unfortunately, and made its own headlines.
4: Gundagai's bunyip, which bellowed like a bull at night and sang like a bellbird during the day, has been shot. Turns out, was a musk duck. Somebody will have it for dinner.
2: It was a shape-shifting bunyip, why would you eat it?
4: (laughs) I know the people of Gundagai. That's exactly what happened. I know the people of Gundagai very well, Holly. <laughs> Not because Tumut and Gundagai had a rivalry, because we always beat them in everything.
2: <laughs> We've got Gundagai listeners there, like, hang on a minute. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I will say this I expect nothing less of someone living in Gundagai to mistake a duck for a giant monster. <laughs> This does not surprise me in the slightest, uh, though I kid. We we love Gundagai. Uh, most people of course know of Gundagai because it is one of the stop-offs uh, between the famous Sydney to Melbourne route. The dog on the Tucker Box? Dog on the Tucker Box, yes, is one of the the famous legends there. Uh, there used to be a railway station in Gundagai, and the uh, I think it was the station master's dog would come with him to work and it would sit on his lunchbox so that no one else would steal his lunch. And so there's a famous statue that's there. There's also a song about the dog on the tucker box. There's also a song about Gundagai. It's a shithole, don't live here. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's just a small township. It's,
2: it's Outback Town. Uh, it, no,
4: stop doing this. You keep calling Tumut and the Riverina the Outback. It's, you not, did- it's not Sydney. I listen to, I listen to because uh, we, we do this all the time, we re- listen to our old episodes, not because we're narcissistic. Well, I'm narcissistic, but we listen to our own episodes just to make sure that you're getting good I quality fun. episodes.
2: I, I like how funny I am. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of
4: people like how funny you are. Yeah, so I was listening to the, to the Ligoria episode.
3: Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbpgovernor slash careers.
4: And you're like, yeah, Wagga Wagga's the outback. It's not the outback. None of that area is the outback, Holly. You've got to start headed into South Australia for the outback.
2: Look, if, it, if it's more than two or three hours out of Sydney, it's the outback. It's not the outback. <laughs> and you can't say you have to head to South Australia to get the outback because what the fuck do you call
4: Lightning Ridge and Dubbo? Well, that's, yeah, southern New South Wales, but we're not-
2: Lightning Ridge is literally on the border with Queensland.
4: (laughs) Northern New South Wales? Western New South Wales? Northern. Uh, You've got to go out to the border areas of New South Wales. Tumut, Gundagai, Wagga Wagga, Albury, that's not the outback, Holly. If I see red sand, Mm -hmm. it's the outback. We're going to be heading towards Albury around Christmas time, and I will show you definitively that it is not the outback. It's all bushland, but it's not the outback. You won't see any red sand in those areas whatsoever. Stop calling it the outback.
2: <laughs> but I get such a good
4: reaction. And people who live in Gundagai, <laughs> stop shooting ducks thinking that they're no, bunyips. You can,
2: you, you can shoot ducks, just don't call them a bunya because you shouldn't eat shapeshifters. It's bad for you.
4: <laughs> Fucking dumb shits. <laughs>
2: we have one more quote to close
4: it out. A well-known fisherman and farmer says that the Bunya pokes was all very funny, but he is confident that there is something in the river yet. As while fishing, he has seen the creature, and it is his opinion that more will be heard of it. Others also aver that the real Mickey is still alive and living in the river, and several persons have got their eyes open and mean to capture the monster before long.
2: That particular quote comes from 1898. So... If anyone's seen the monster since then, please let me know.
4: <laughs> it's a very interesting case study. And it's one thing that I talk about. I've talked about it when we did our live show this this year. I've talked about it ad nauseum in other episodes. A lot of supernatural has an a natural explanation. But what's interesting is that people become so devoted to a legend, so devoted to a story or an idea, that they can't let it uh, have a natural origin. It has to remain supernatural. It has to uh, remain mythological. And so...
1: Fisher's ghost.
4: Yeah, even when presented... Well, Fisher's ghost even has more evidence uh, than (laughs) than (laughs) Bunyip's. But it's like, even when presented uh, definitively with the answer... Uh, you will still have people turn around and create a myth. They they still will refuse to believe the natural occurrence.
2: The bunyip created a decoy so it could get away. <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. Exactly right. It, it's like, you know, you look up at the sky and it's it's very plain to most rational people that the earth is round. We have more than enough evidence of the earth being round. We're constantly sending up SpaceX shuttles and uh, all around the world, space agencies are shooting vessels up all the time. We just recently shot and a satellite and an asteroid. You know, we know that the earth is round. Yet for some people, they look up at the sky and assume it's all flat. They assume that we live on a flat earth. There is something, I think, psychologically wrong with people that they need to have secret knowledge and able enable to feel intelligent they know something that you don't know where the the fact is that sometimes there are just natural explanations for things and a lot of the time those natural explanations are just as fun if not more fun like i can understand why people would like a cryptid hiding in the rivers attacking people at random but the story of a man who wanted to save his little town and increase its economy, came up with a great hoax, got everyone involved, brought money, brought people to his little township, made it famous, and created a wonderful little legend that still goes on to this day. And I think that's a lot more interesting.
2: And at least he was (laughs) smart enough to tell the authorities that he was doing it so that nobody got shot and the cops didn't waste their time.
4: Nobody got hurt. It was just, uh, it was pure and innocent and fun. I think that... It's also a case study in how easily people are fooled and it doesn't take much. It takes one or two people to plant the idea and that takes a small mob of people to run with that idea. So just keep that in mind as well. I always, I always implore people to be skeptical, especially in this, this day and age, the amount of times when people come up to me and say, well, I read it on Facebook. Anyone can publish anything on Facebook. Anyone can do a podcast. We're doing a podcast right now.
2: But at least we supply the uh, the back- backup for what we're saying.
4: Yeah, so unlike us and a lot of other podcasts out there, <coughs> Joe Rogan, what we do is we actually publish our research notes as books. In those books themselves, you can see all the references. In the episode notes, you can see our references. We have all of our quotes. We have all of that information available. You can fact check us until the end of time. And when people do come up with corrections, we double check those corrections. And then we make those corrections on subsequent podcasts. There's a lot to be said these days for being able to interpret uh, and fact check information. So uh, next time uh, you happen to come across something on Facebook, if you're not double checking that information that you're getting, I would ask, why? why not? Why aren't you double checking? Because
2: you're a subject or hoax by a dude with a cape on his hat.
4: (laughs) You know, I think in the future, uh, one of the things that they're probably going to teach children in school is social media literacy, like being able to understand and interpret information correctly, instead of just believing a meme that's slapped together. Well,
2: Um, we were were talking about someone who's in the education industry the other day, and she said that the millennials are probably the last generation that understand that there is false false information on the internet because Gen Z and Gen Alpha they're growing up with it so it's kind of like the confirmation bias of the old people having newspapers. Yeah. If it's printed it's true.
4: And the other side of it as well is the boomers and Gen X's are also having difficulty because if, if it's, it's printed, printed it's, true. it's true. You know, so if it's typed it's real. And I I find that um, very alarming uh, that we've got uh, both the older generation and the younger generation uh, coming up, uh, believing everything they see. And And the
2: millennials sitting in the middle going, what are you idiots doing?
4: It's the one advantage of being an older millennial that most people don't talk about. I was born in 1988. Holly was born in 1991. Nope. 1990. Yep. (laughs) Sorry, I was just trying to make you younger. Uh, and the advantage of being born in this particular era is the fact that we grew up with and without the internet. So we, we grew were there up while
2: the we grew up while the rules were being written. So we understood them as they were being laid down. Yep. The ones who are coming in now, they're just getting the rules thrown at them, and they're like, "I'm just going to ignore this now." Well,
4: they're, they're just getting copious amounts of information thrown at them all the time, and it's becoming harder and harder to discern what's fact and fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the mo- one of the funnest experiments that you can do is uh, next time you're at a family gathering, check everyone's Facebook feed. Have a look at what the algorithm determines that their Facebook feed should be. It'll be a rather large eye-opening for you.
2: There was actually an experiment with that where older people who were looking at their Facebook feed didn't realise that other people had a different feed.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they couldn't believe it. They're like, I don't understand why your news is different to mine. And then once the experiment was done, they, they, they explained to them how the algorithm worked. And thankfully, it, it educated some people, but it alarms me that everyone thinks that everyone's getting the same information through Facebook uh, and other social media platforms. You're certainly not. You're getting what the algorithm determines. So the algorithm that Facebook has built, uh, all it, it, in the most simplest terms... Is It's designed to keep you looking at the page, and it does that by pulling your emotions. That's why you get inundated with cute animal videos and their news items, which are going to upset you. Have a real good look at that feed because it is psychologically designed to keep you there so that they can keep putting ads in front of your face. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be called Facebook. It should be called Adbook. (laughs) That's all it is. Anyway, if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can find us on Facebook, the Weird Crap in Australia <laughs> Facebook page, which I will say is actually one of the most nice, wholesome communities on the internet. Uh, when it comes to uh, having to moderate the Weird Crap in Australia page, we just don't have to, and I don't know how we've gotten away with that for so long. I think we've done we've banned two people in the lifetime of that Facebook group,
2: which is like five and a bit, year, four and a bit two, years.
4: Two people. Out of, like, over 3,000, that is really, really good. Very rarely have we ever had to do that. So, you know, I actually think that our Facebook group is one of the better ones. Uh, You can also find us hanging out on Twitter. Our handle is at weirdcrappinaus, A-U-S, and you can find us on Instagram. Uh, If you'd like to shoot us a good old-fashioned email, you can, Australia at gmail.com. Don't forget to send through those letters. We respond to, I don't think I've ever missed one. So make sure you send those through. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, maybe you have a story that you would like us to cover. We always love those uh, fan-submitted stories.
2: Look, if you've created a hoax and you need us to economically stimulate your uh, townsfolk, let us know. Just let us know it's a hoax so we can cover
4: our own asses later. Yeah, but we'll come up with the equipment. We'll be like, we're here, we're investigating. That'd be fun. That'd yeah. Be a lot of fun.
2: We can help like stimulate the economy of your local area. Absolutely. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. Just give us a kickback. Now, if you would like to help support Weird Crap in Australia, you can do so in a couple of ways. First being our Patreon page, head to weirdcrapinaustralia.com. You can check out our Patreon page. For only a dollar, you get to participate in our Patreon Selects polls. Uh, The next series, Midnight Oil, was a Patreon Selects uh, choice. So if you'd like to have more say in the stories we cover, only a dollar a month. You get to enter into those polls. For $5 a month, you get a ton of bonus content, including audiobook chapters, uh, our mini-sodes, as well as any interviews we happen to do. Coming up in September, I've recorded an interview series. Uh, we we'll talked talk to a different a bunch of different people from a range of different fields. That's coming up for you in the month of, of December, I should say. September's already finished. And you will uh, get all of that content for only $5 a month. So sign up now and you won't miss out on those really interesting interviews that uh, I've been conducting over the last couple of weeks. Uh, What else? What else, Holly? Oh, of course, you can buy our merchandise from our Redbubble store, Weird WeirdCrapInOz, AUS.RedBubble.com. You can grab yourself all sorts of Weird Crap in Australia merchandise. You can also pick up our book series, Weird Crap in Australia, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, are now available from Lulu.com and our great mates at ImpactComics.com.au. You can also pick up the digital edition from the Kindle store. Otherwise, as our custom, we give Holly the final word.
2: I like this song.
4: (laughs) That's my words. (laughs) Okay. Check out the rest of that song. What's that song called again? The Bunyip Song from Dot and the Kangaroo. The Bunyip Song from Dot. Oh, I I I don't think it's the song that creeps people out the most about that. I think it's the imagery in the animated film.
2: Uh, I'd say both of them going together is pretty, pretty bad.
4: We'll probably cover <laughs> Dot and Kangaroo in the future. So oh, yeah, it's, it's a- in our exploitation yeah. list somewhere. It's in there somewhere. Well, that's it from us from We're Crap in Australia. Please stay safe out there. I know the world is a bit of chaos at the moment, but uh, if we all look out for each other, we will get through it rather comfortably. Human power always works. I've been your host, Matthew Soul. Joining me, of course, was Holly Soul, and we will see you next week for more weird crap in australia and that's the end of spooktober and i'm so sad oh we have to go eat chocolate now yeah (laughs) stupid stupid christmas ruining my my good holiday
2: i mean there's an entire month supposedly don't tell
4: the fucking supermarkets but yeah yeah don't tell the the retail industry uh that's it from us bye for now folks
2: Cheers.